1: Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I am the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I am joined in with a very special uh, friend of mine from the US, uh, Ryan Smith, who really is a pioneer when it comes to anti-aging medicine, peptides, and research chemicals. So in the last few weeks, actually, we've been um, messaging and bouncing ideas and and sharing some cool um, research papers and things like that. But today, we are specifically focusing on... um, a fairly new technology and a specific um, sort of analysis software that will determine your epigenetics and learn more about your um, DNA methylation. So, Ryan, welcome to the show, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure.
1: Awesome. So, Ryan, do you want to give my audience a bit of an understanding into, I guess, like in a general um, consensus, like what is epigenetics?
0: Yeah. So, so epigenetics is essentially the, the, the things that are happening to your genome above that baseline DNA sequence. And so, um, you know, the way I always like to explain it is that every cell in your body has the exact same DNA. What makes each of these phenotypes different? What makes your skin cells, skin cells and your heart cells, heart cells. And and it's all that epigenetic programming. Um, so silencing of genes, activation of some genes, um, and, you know, part of our fundamental development so biology is essentially, um, you know, methylating and demethylating things in certain tissues. And so uh, really epigenetics is a way that your body regulates your DNA um, to, to really uh, give that sort of that dog basic dogma of biochemistry, right? Going from DNA to, to uh, you know, RNA to peptides and proteins. Uh, this is sort of that step between the DNA and the RNA uh, where we where the, the epigenetics are able to control what types of DNA sequences get made into that RNA. Mm.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So maybe let's take a a step back and, um, cause today's episode, we're really going to focus on, um, you know, measuring aging and the aging process itself. So let's have a look at some of the, um, yeah, well, let's have a look at some of the hallmarks of aging. Cause I know there are various sort of elements that contribute to it. So what let's, let's sort of run through some of those.
0: Yeah, so so the, the hallmarks of aging are, I would say, pretty well defined at this point. Um, you know, most people say you know there are eight or nine of them, depending on who you ask. Um, you know, a lot of those things uh, tend to be things that are, are are things a lot of your listeners will probably be familiar with. Things like uh, you know, probably one of the most common right now, and probably one of the biggest topics is, is senescence, right? Um, uh, and so whenever cells essentially sort of metabolically pause, they stop replicating, um, mm-hmm. and in that. That time period, they get uh, you know a lot of inflammatory markers, which are obviously not good and cause that inflammaging process, as they call it. And so, so that's one of the big ones. Uh, you know, the other things like uh, telomere attrition, obviously, where we you know uh, lose some of our, our telomeres as we undergo replicative uh, burdens. Um, some of those things are going to be like stem cell depletion or nutrient sensing um, issues, um, loss of proteostasis, or you know, dysregulated uh, uh, protein manufacturing. Um, so those are some of I would say the, the big ones, uh, for sure. And, and, uh, the, the, the problem with a lot of those is that a lot of them don't have direct blood biomarkers, right? You know, things like senescence, can be pretty hard to measure. Some people are doing beta gal as a measurement of senescence. Other, you know, but clinically, it's not super relevant yet. And so, um, we don't really have a way to, I would say, objectively look at a lot of those data points to tell how someone's aging. Um, and, and so, forever, and, and you know, for for a long, long time, people have wanted uh, really one objective diagnostic marker, which is able to tell us how we're doing on that aging process because age is such a big risk factor. Our chronological age is such a big risk factor for all of these different types of diseases.
1: Mm. Yeah. You just mentioned the um, the chronological age. So I want to sort of um, break down those two terms because we obviously have the biological age and the chronological age. So do you want to expand upon that a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so
1: bi- the chronological age
0: is, is is pretty easy, right? It's the, the the age that you would call yourself or the number of, you know, candles on your birthday cake, so to speak. Um, but but the biological age is a little bit more complicated um, because uh, that is sort of how your body is aging um, in respect to, you know, sort of the the total population or where you're at on sort of your lifespan um, journey uh, and everyone's is going to be independent. So your biological age is sort of the the age of your body uh, rather than the age of how long your body has lived, sort of mm-hmm. how your body is functioning. It's more of a, a physiological uh, measurement rather than, um, just a time one. Um, you know, uh, one of the ways I always like to, to talk about that is, is, you know, looking at, at different things like twin studies, you know, people who have the exact same baseline DNA might age or, or be at different predispositions to different types of diseases. Um, and, and a lot of that can be mitigated by how they live their life. And, um, you know, all of the factors that play into that nutrition, diet, exercise, um, sleep, stress, all those same things are, are what are actually taking a toll on our bodies as well. Um, and, and you know it starts to, we start to see that there's a lot of phenotypic variation between even the people, the same DNA. And, and we're able to actually measure that phenotypic variation or that baseline biological age with things like this epigenetic
1: measurement. Mm. So what else is currently out there in terms of, um, in terms of analyzing or measuring someone's like the aging process itself, what's, what's currently out there right now? So there's a lot. Um, you
0: know, probably one of the most popular is one we've already mentioned is the telomere measurements. You know, the telomere length measurements uh, have forever been, I would say, really, really exciting because we know that they decrease as our cells undergo replication, and and the longer we live, the more replication our cells go under. Um, and we know also that that at one point, cells that, uh, you know, undergo too much replication will lose their telomeres and then they'll undergo replicative senescence, right? Whereas where those cells, again, sort of stop replicating um, as a way to sort of protect against any type of DNA damage. Um, and, And so... Uh, so telomeres have been a very, very popular one, but in the more recent years, as uh, things like artificial intelligence and computer learning become a little bit more prevalent, um, the investigation into all biomarkers as it relates to age have been popular. So, um, you know, as we talk about the multi or going back to that central dogma, biochemistry where you go from you know dna to the epigenetics to the transcriptomics to the proteomics to the uh you know the metabolomics the phenomics and then also the microbiome all of those have been looked at as uh to see what changes with age and can you adequately look at any of those um to predict age accurately um and i would say that right now there's been a lot of developments in all of those uh one example is a product called glycan age which uses uh Essentially, glycosylated proteins as a marker. Um, you know, uh, transcriptomics and I and, uh, have been a, a big one as well. And then even the metabolome has um, is, is been, you know, looking at metabolites in the blood that change with age. Um, however, there's a really, really great review paper uh, that goes over all of those metrics um, and really concludes that the sort of the most well validated and the most predictive for these health outcomes tends to be the epigenetic age. Um, and so that is really what we're specializing in. And, and I really think that the epigenetics. Uh, particularly, epigenetic methylation um, is probably the best diagnostic marker to be able to predict age. And really, through some of these studies um, that have come out since really the uh, the hallmark publication in two thousand thirteen, um, have really started to say that epigenetics may be monitoring some of this baseline process of aging um, that, that is ubiquitous across all animal species.
1: Mm, phenomenal. So, Ryan, I want to ask you um, about just sort of like which branch of medicine, or how do you really think that this sort of um, having this sort of data, like how can we apply it to, to medicine?
0: Well, so that, that's the beauty of it is that uh, now with these computer learning algorithms, uh, we're able to apply it generally to all outcomes. And that's one of the beauties of these epigenetic measurements, too, is uh, <laughs> that they gather so much data and it can be such precise data. Um, that you can really start to detect things way before you would typically see them um, in traditional medicine. You know, one example uh, I always like to bring up is the stage zero uh, cancer detection uh, via epigenetics. And people know this uh, usually as a term called liquid biopsy. Um, and, and it's just exactly as it sounds. You take a blood sample and you're able to uh, essentially... Uh, see if there's any cancer in the system, even at very, very uh, individualized cell levels. So really, really low detection quantities. Um, And the reason for that is the epigenetics can be so precise um, if you sort of have these computer learning systems, which can correlate them to other covariate outcomes. So in in the case of cancer, (laughs) cancer would be the outcome. Um, In in the case of of age, age would be the outcome. Uh, and, And in some of these newer algorithms, uh, like GrimAge, for instance, which is Dr. Horvath's probably most popular algorithm. He's even able to predict death with this epigenetic measurement. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets it gets wild. I mean, you start to enter a sci-fi realm very, very quickly because yeah. you know we can take your blood and say. You know how uh, you know how many macronutrients you've eaten over the past week. We can tell you how much you've smoked or drank across your entire lifetime. The amount of data that we can get from these epigenetic measurements are different than the data we can get from your DNA. A lot of times, it's not personal, personally identifiable, but the information we can detect from it still is 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 powerful. And the way that that can apply to health is is count too countless to uh, to to really even even see. Um, and really, the steps would be first, you have to decide an algorithm first come up with uh, a way to measure whatever you're hoping to measure. It might be progression to Alzheimer's. It might be um, you know, performance on your you know 40-yard dash. Um, but if you start to get this information and, and use these com- big data sets and big computer learning platforms, you start to see what markers are associated with things like speed or associated with things like Parkinson's development. And so what you get to do is you now you have an algorithm that's able to predict this. The next question goes to now that we have an algorithm predict it, how do we change the, the, the markers we know are predictive of that risk?
1: Yeah, that's definitely an element of this that really excites me is the whole sort of athletic performance yeah. part of things. For athletes, you know, taking advantage of this sort of technology and then utilizing strategies and, and you know, bar hacking and implementing peptides and supplements yeah. like that is that really yeah. excites me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, uh, in some of the products that you, I know you and I like, like the 5-Amino 1MQ, for instance, Um, You know, it's already being studied uh, to reverse biological age and muscle tissue um, via some of these epigenetic clocks. And so, so, you know, what we're starting to get to is this leading area of medicine where uh, you know, this is used as an objective marker to validate some of the things that we're seeing clinically, right? You know, I've had my crazy experience with the 5-Amino-1-MQ, but but I would also love to see it, uh, you know, from a molecular standpoint, actually make a difference on my lab metrics. I would love yeah. to see that. Uh, in addition to just experiencing that effect, it's also good to have that baseline data because that data is reproducible, not just to me, but to everyone. Um, and, and, and that's really where we. it's is exciting is no longer do anti-aging treatments have to be uh, try it and see what happens. We, we can have methods to actually validate and uh, expand our use of these medications to, to help the population. And, and I know I said this in your, the first time we talked as well, but I think it's worth uh, re- mentioning again for your listeners, the, the population level impact of things like reversing right. your, your aging rate or your epigenetic aging rate can be um, incredible. I, I always so the statistic uh, that, you know, if everyone reversed their age by seven years, you'd cut the disease in half. 50% of people would no longer be sick, which is crazy. You know, if you reverse the aging rate by just 20%, uh, you'd save U.S. over uh, $3 trillion in healthcare care um, spending. And so So, you know, these can make a big, big impact. And, you know, a lot of people associate aging as a vanity thing, Um, but it's absolutely not. It's way more than vanity. It is a a risk factor that predisposes you to all of those diseases, which are the most popular, or I should say the most prevalent um, to die from or to get sick from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One thing that, um, you know, when people like get on an anti-aging protocol and things like that, or they want to, you know, slow down aging, at the same time, they're also addressing like, you know, they're going to be supporting mitochondrial function. They're going to be reducing oxidative stress. They're going to be, and a lot of these supplements and peptides to actually work on all those different sort of um, pathways at the same time. So that's, it's really cool just to see the the crossover there.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the reason I got into this in the first place is I started seeing things like, yeah. you know, the SS 31, right. Which is helping with the mitochondrial structure and, and mitochondrial energetics. And I said, you know, this has got to be having phenomenal population level impacts beyond just, you know, the one tagline, which most people remember about, you know, uh, six months of daily ATP equivalent, uh, you know, uh, with one injection. Uh, And and so... uh, so, so I mean, people always think of those things, but the population level impact and how it can help prevent these diseases, I, this was something I really, really wanted to quantify and take it out of more of a, a biohacking realm and, and sort of merging the idea of biohacking and, and medicine because they are one and the same. I um, mean, if you can quantify the effects, then uh, you're, you're that much closer to getting implemented on a larger scale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, um, I'm sure many of my listeners will already be familiar with 23andMe. So do you want to sort of break down how this can, well, how different yeah. to 23andMe?
0: Yeah, d- definitely. And, and, you know, 23 Me uh, obviously is not in Australia, uh, but but uh, I think MyDNA is one of the big companies that, that's out there. But, you know, all of these genetic companies are based on the same principle and, th- and actually the same technology. Uh, what they're doing is just essentially sequencing your DNA, um, especially at certain locations, uh, locations which are more likely to have polymorphisms or different genetic variants. Um, and and we know a lot about those because some genes are essentially uh, programmed uh, and can affect how your, your health. For instance, you know, I have an APOE3 Which obviously predisposes me to Alzheimer's, right? And so that genetic information is so very relevant genetic information, especially uh, with really, you know, um, with genes that are are greatly related um, to uh, to different outcomes, like you know your your BRCA mutations um, or or some other things. And so, so genetics is an important piece. However, genetics is very static. You take that test once in your lifetime, and and really that information is not going to change. And so, I, I still think it's a fundamental process, but but really, there's not a lot you can do about it because what you really want to do is you're not you're not looking to change your genes. What you're looking to do is change the risk that you found in those genes, right? By changing your lifestyle, the epigenetics is a little bit different because uh, these epigenetic methylation markers do change. They're they're not they're, they don't change immediately or very very quickly, but they do change, and you do have uh, a large degree of control over them. You know, 60 percent of the, the methylation markers that we measure um, are, are based off of uh, someone's own lifestyle. And so what it really does is put that control back into your hands where uh, you actually can change the expression of your genetic sequences. And that is the way that you can mitigate those risks.
1: Mm. Awesome. Um, yeah. I've just thought of one thing just then. You, you, know, you sort of mentioned um, some of the DNA methylation targets and things like that. But I want to discuss some of the, like, I guess, from your perspective, what do you think has the biggest impact on like DNA methylation?
0: <laughs> well, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, um, methylation in, in in humans in particular is a little bit different than a lot of other species uh, where we sort of become, uh, we, we, we're really methylated at a much higher level and, and really it's about demethylating. And so um, and one thing I should note is that methylation, uh, is not necessarily good or bad right so in some 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 genes we want there to be more methylation other genes we want there to be less methylation uh for instance you know i uh, tumor suppressor genes we would want to be um activated so we would want them to be hypomethylated because methylation uh, can oftentimes silence genes um, and we wouldn't want anything that's suppressing tumors to be silenced um, you know from from the other way around you know oncogenes are the other way right we wouldn't want that to be uh, uh we wouldn't that want that to be demethylated and so so with that being said you want a balance of each right you really want your body to do what it's supposed to do um and uh and and really optimizing the process of the body doing that can be difficult one of the things that often is mentioned is the mthfr variants, um you know because because uh, you know, those are very, very common and can actually have a big impact on health. Um, and, and one thing we do know is that they are related to how we methylate our genome. Um, you know, the ability of substrates like, you know, methylfolate or, you know, homocysteine, uh, uh, definitely impact how we methylate and, and regulate our DNA. Um, but unfortunately, the question, I should say, the question you ask, which is what's the biggest factor, I don't know that I can answer because I'm not sure that we have the data yet. Um, you know, what we're able to do with our testing is, is really read the DNA. Or, uh, so we're able to essentially get a percentage of methylation at, at a lot of different places. Um, but but that data can still be nonsensical because we really need these algorithms or what these computer learning networks sort of print out or, or spit out um, to be able to read that DNA and interpret it for different health outcomes. And so that's what we do is we, we take DNA, we purify it, we read the methylation, um, and then we interpret that methylation with these algorithms, and, and that's where we, we see a lot of benefit. And and like I said, no area of medicine is going to be untouched by that. At one point, um, everything from you know fertility to cancer to uh, just childhood development, psychiatric uh, diseases, everything um, can be can be associated with methylation. And there's actually even uh, here in the United States, uh, several epigenetic drugs already on the market which can prevent methylation of certain types of tissues in certain locations <laughs> on the genome. And so uh, this is this is a growing and, and I will growing is probably under. Just- save and exploding science, um, yeah. in, in a couple different areas, but, but definitely in longevity and definitely in cancer.
1: That's awesome, man. Well, actually speaking of, um, data and results, maybe did you want to, yeah, cause I was fortunate enough to uh, yeah. yeah get my results done. So do you want to share some of what, what we found with uh, my data?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, you know, uh, you do have the distinction and I can go on record if you don't mind me sharing your data, um, you do have the best rate of aging we've ever seen. Um, uh, and, and so there are a lot of insights, though, that we can get from this data. So to take a step back before I give you all this great news, um, um, uh, w- we look at a lot of different things. You know, we run a lot of different algorithms. Um, one algorithm we run is this idea of, of biological age, or sort of the age of your body. Um, and ideally, for anyone who's doing this metric, what you really want to see there is an age that's lower than your actual chronological age. If you're doing that, then you're doing really, really well. Um, you know, most of our data sources come from the United States. So you're you're a little bit of an outlier there, but I should mention that almost every male and almost everyone who grows up in the United States tends to have advanced aging. So uh, you know, just from being a male in the United States, you can sort of behind the eight ball a little bit. I don't know uh, how that impacts you, but but your your aging rate was uh was was pretty great. Um and so your your intrinsic aging rate was actually 24.16, um, which is uh which is again pretty good. Um, and, uh, and then to break that down a little bit further, we also have this idea of the extrinsic aging rate. This is sort of the age of your immune system. And the reason that this is helpful is because the extrinsic aging rate is a little <laughs> bit more highly correlated to things like death, for instance. So having a, a lower extrinsic epigenetic aging rate or immune system age uh, tends to protect you against premature death. In that regard, uh, you also had a great reading at twenty point four five, and so so those are are two great readings and definitely a good starting point for especially for someone uh, like yourself who who, uh, specializes in biohacking and a lot of times uh, uh, that's a hard thing to do and so um, so those are two great data points and and we can talk about those a lot you know Mm -hmm. uh, I mean our our report I think as you've seen is is over eighty pages long it goes and breaks down really everything that's been correlated to a better or worse (laughs) age. Um, So I I won't belabor that point. But but I will say that having advanced aging, even if you're one year older biologically than you are chronologically, can have a lot of adverse health consequences. One of my favorite statistics is looking at cancer risk. Um, for, for instance, every one year that you are older biologically than you are chronologically, you increase your risk of dying of cancer, or sorry, you re- increase your risk of getting cancer in the next five years by 6% for every one year. Um, you increase your risk of dying of cancer in the next three years by actually 17%. Um, and so even just a one-year difference can make a big impact into a lot of different diseases, uh, but in this case, uh, obviously, those risks for cancer. But um, this applies to almost every age-related disease. Um, so everything that shows a correlation to age, which is most diseases, also shows a higher correlation to this idea of biological age, which allows us to be able to predict it and then hopefully, in some cases, prevent it. And there are a lot of things you can do to turn back that clock, probably things that you do already, which is maybe why your, 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 your metrics look so good. Um, we do a couple other metrics as well. We do some things like immune cell subsets. Um, so we're actually able to predict you know, things like your CD4 to CD8 ratio, which is a, sort of a ratio of T cells, which can give us an idea of how good your immune function is. And usually you'd want that value to be between one and four. And, and yours is perfect right there at 2.5. So again, that that even looks good. And then probably my favorite out of all of the different algorithms, uh, is, is one called the Dunedin, um, study. And, and obviously the, uh, Dunedin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's a, a a town in, uh, New Zealand. Um, and they're actually with this algorithm, they're actually able to calculate the instantaneous rate of aging. Um, so for instance, let's say that, you know, someone had had a, lifestyle in the past which was not ideal they might have had high stress poor diet lack of <laughs> exercise uh but suddenly turned their life around you know we, uh, we want to give them actually feedback on what they're doing now so that they can improve that as much as possible um, with biological age you're not just getting what they're doing now you're also getting everything they did in the past but with this with this uh even uh POAM algorithm we're actually able to sort of give you the speedometer of aging how how fast are you going right now and, and that is where we see your metric being probably the best metric I've ever seen Or certainly the best metric I've ever seen on that. Um, And and that's defined as anywhere from 0.6 biological years per year. That's the absolute lowest you can go to around 1.4 biological years per year. And that's really the highest you can go. And and the distribution of that is is much like a bell curve with almost everyone being right around one. Um, And and so very, very few people get to the periphery of those two measurements. You did. Uh, So your rate of aging was 065 uh, essentially 0.657, uh, uh, biological years per year, which is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Definitely in the top 99th percentile, uh, which is, uh, uh good because what we're able to say is that, Hey, whatever you're doing, keep doing.
1: Yeah. That's sick, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. So with that, I guess with that, um, with that information, where do you sort of see, are you guys thinking of branching out and expanding upon that in any, in any way or,
0: Oh absolutely and you know one of the one of the beauties about these algorithms is that they might give you a biological age but that's not where they're super powerful where they're powerful is relating that biological age to your risk of other diseases yeah. um, and so and so that is where this is so powerful because we're able to predict you know risk of, of all of these different diseases age-related diseases cardiovascular disease diabetes uh, you know neurological conditions um, cancer all of these things are highly highly correlated to that metric that you, that you just got right um, and, and so so no longer do you have to sort of you know, think of health as a binary thing where you're either healthy or you're sick. What you can start to think is, is is if you sort of recondition your mind to think of aging as a disease itself, um, and mitigating that, that, that process can also mitigate your risk of all those other conditions. And so if you treat this as a, a way to, uh, to give yourself varying degrees of uh, healthiness, so to speak, um, and try and get this metric as low as possible, um, then <laughs> you'll protect yourself against all those other diseases. So it makes all these, you know, preventative medicine things where people are trying to stay healthy and do the right thing. It makes it quantifiable, and that's the beauty of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was wondering just then, like, imagine if I, you know, jumped on a really hardcore like anti-aging peptide protocol with like Metformin yeah. mix SS thirty one. And then retest yeah. in like a year's time. It'd be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, I, I would love to see it. And, and you know, one one of the things I should note is that uh, you're probably not the most ideal candidate, right? You're yeah. pretty young already, yeah. uh, and and uh, you know what we really start to see is that people over fifty. Um, can make big impacts to their epigenetic age in short amount of time. You know, uh, probably one of the most the most famous and actually the trial that got me into this um, was uh, uh, called the Trim trial. Um, uh, it was done at UCLA that looked at metformin, growth hormone, and DHEA yeah. uh, as a way to reduce that epigenetic aging rate. It was only in nine patients, but they were able to reverse in just one point five years worth of time. They were able to reverse the aging rate right around two point five years um, for some of those patients, and so they were literally turning back the clock. And even more recently, um, just uh, uh, a few weeks ago, um, Dr. Sinclair from Harvard uh, published a study where he uh, used Yamanaka factors to reprogram these cells to reverse their epigenetic age. And, and the impact of that was that he was able to restore uh, vision in blind mice. Um, and so so we know that, that this aging process is, is um, incredibly important to all different levels of health. And if we can prevent it, that's a good thing, um, and you know I, I talk about it just like I, I, I would talk about DNA mutations, because essentially that's what it is. If your epigenetics are not regulated appropriately, uh, then you're going to start to develop some issues, and it's the same way with DNA. If you start to break your DNA or have you know uh, uh, substitution, uh, you know errors or, or other things like that, you start to get. Uh, phenotypes that you know predispose you to things like cancer or to uh, all these other diseases. It's the same way. You want to be able to give your DNA uh, the ability to regulate itself most appropriately. And that's hopefully what we're trying to encourage. And the ways which we can encourage that are, are going to be different. Um, you know, We're going to be able to validate all of these things that we do, right? All of the peptides, all of the lifestyle, sleep, stress, meditation. We're going to be able to quantify the effect of all of those on people, and not just on people, but individualized people. So yeah. we can tell you what might work for you versus what works for me. Um, and so we're really getting into a new area of medicine where where all of this diagnostic material is is super valuable.
1: Yeah, with that, um, that algorithm you described from New Zealand, um, yeah, is there a PubMed study that talks about, or like, you know, is there research? Because I'd love yeah. to look that for my listeners. They'd love to read that. Absolutely. I'll
0: send it to you. Uh, I'll send it to you uh, once we get off the the line. But uh, yes, the the research has been done in collaboration with two universities, Columbia and Duke. Um, And and the the lead author uh, from each organization is going to be Terry Moffat from Duke and then uh, Dan Belsky from Columbia. Um, and, And to take it a step further. That algorithm has actually been vetted on some, some interventions as well, particularly uh, caloric restriction. Um, at a 25% caloric restriction, they've shown that they can re- sort of reduce that instantaneous aging rate. Um, and so. So uh, that's actually what, you know, to be expected, right? That's what we would have anticipated would happen. But it's good to see it, again, proven um, in a molecular-based diagnostic to say that, hey, this is what's working. And we, now we can even start to compare things like, uh, you know, caloric restriction versus time-restricted feeding versus, you know, things like Prolon and these fasting-mimicking diets. Um, and then we can even start to add in things that might increase autophagy, like, you know, the 3-4-DMC or, you know, resveratrol, terostilbene or, uh, you know, the um, whatever spermidine, whatever. <coughs> it might be right we can start to uh, then really optimize these protocols so that whenever we say oh it's time for a fast you know uh well we're going to maximize it with with this perfect thing for your biology
1: yeah actually something that came to my mind as you're talking through some of the um, modalities is i think in the future maybe in a few months from now i'd love to put together a really like comprehensive longevity anti-aging webinar where like i just multi-pronged yeah. approach you know diet, diet <laughs> stress exercise yeah ties. it'd just be so cool to to build yeah. something like that
0: exactly yeah. and, and it is and it is multi-pronged right all of these <laughs> things make a difference uh and we've always known they have but uh but now being able to tie them all together into one metric is really really valuable and i think that uh, that's where we're going is is uh hopefully aging will be classified as a disease sooner rather than later. Um, And then we'll start to get more money poured into this idea of preventative medicine to not just uh, treat people when they get sick, but to prevent people from getting sick in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, for those listening in, uh, you guys can find a link to the true diagnostic testing kit. Uh, We've organized a a coupon code for you, Lucas 50, L-U-C-A-S 50. Um, but Ryan, was there any other things you wanted to mention about the technology itself or anything else?
0: Well, yeah. So, so we're, I mean, we've got a lot of really interesting things coming out, uh, especially in those other things to the hallmark, you know, regarding the hallmarks of aging, we hope to have a senescence burden predictor to see how well you might respond to different types of synolytics, like, you know, uh quercetin or even physetin. Um, you know, we, we hope to come up with uh, a lot more developments. We're looking to everything, as I mentioned, uh, um, things for fertility and sperm, right. How to reduce your risk of uh, and make sure you have the best offspring to uh to really every area of medicine, so so this is a growing thing. Um, and and one thing I should mention is that we'll continue to add value. We we actually release a report, a new report um, on on the data if you can test it with us about every four weeks. So this will be a continual thing. And 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 one thing that we also hope you retest, uh, maybe once or every twice per year. And so um, so hopefully that's a good thing. One thing I should mention as well is that, that if if someone gets a test and they come back at advanced aging, maybe not have the same values as you, definitely not a concern because that's exactly why. We're doing this in the first place, right? To get a baseline and then to compete with yourself to get as low as possible. So, yeah. uh, so no one should be too scared about having an advanced aging
1: metric. It is changeable, exactly. And the other thing about that is, like, you know, we're tracking our steps, we're tracking other metrics, but now having this sort of data, all of those other, all of those other modalities that we're trying to hit, you know, hit those targets are going to impact the ultimate yeah. outcome, which is this.
0: Exactly. And and I think that uh, we're actually you, you beat me to the punch in the next few weeks. We're actually going to be launching a, a, a sort of a, a, an app that will be able to, to link in all of your blood metrics. It'll be able to link all, in all of your wearables like aura ring um, that it will be able to link in uh, your EMR and your doctor's notes. So you can have yeah. everything all in one place and you can start to correlate uh, as best as possible the things that make a difference to your individual agent process.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. just one final question. I just realized HRV, have you sort of seen any links there between,
0: yeah. So we, we have the data we're starting to uh, collect the data, but unfortunately there's been no published trials and we probably don't have enough data to anecdotally report anything. Um, and so, uh, but definitely, uh, I would say a marker that we're, we're very focused on.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ryan, uh, thanks so much for, for joining me again, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure having you on. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to, I know my listeners are going to love this one. Um, we'll be sending this out on YouTube very soon. Um, and again, for those listening in who want to actually order the true diagnostic kit, uh, you'll be seeing it on my website. It's on the, on the front page of my site. And then I'll have a link in the video description for this. And you can use the code Lucas 50, um, that'll save you $50. So Brian, thanks for joining me.
0: Yeah. Thanks Lucas. Hope to uh, hope to be back soon with uh, some more developments.
1: Of course, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you
0: want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?